John 3, 1. John 3, 1. I encourage you to bring your Bible with you to church so you can follow along. Beginning in verse 1. No time to waste. There, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus has the very best worldly credentials for evaluating the things of God and, and making a, a declaration of the things of God. He is a Pharisee. He's an expert in the Bible, the Old Testament. He's an expert in teaching the Old Testament to his Jewish community. As a Pharisee, he's an expert in keeping the law and knowing how to keep the law and knowing how to put barriers up so he can keep the law. He's really good at looking clean on the outside. He's a Pharisee. He's also an expert in the traditions of the Jews. He could quote the best teachers on the spot, the Pharisees. They, had, they would memorize these Jewish writings and be able to quote them. He's also a ruler of the Jews, which means he's part of the Sanhedrin. That comes out later in John's Gospel as well. The Sanhedrin, there's 70 people on the Sanhedrin, and they make laws or rulings based off the law of God for all of the people, for all the Jewish people. He's a big deal. He's got credentials for days. And so if anyone's going to give an expert opinion about who Jesus is and what Jesus is up to, what's going on in Jerusalem and the surrounding area, it's this guy. And so here comes Nicodemus, and he says, Rabbi, that's just a formal way of addressing a Jewish teacher who has disciples. Rabbi. And then he says this crucial phrase, we know. We. Nicodemus is more than likely speaking on behalf of a group of people. It could be some of the, the, the leaders with him. It could be just some people in the community. Just before in John 2, it tells us that some people were believing about Jesus, believing things about Jesus. And so Nicodemus, he comes like representing those people that are talking about, who could this person be? But we've seen him do all these signs. What do we think's going on? And they've come to a conclusion. And so Nicodemus, he has come and he says, here's what we know about you. We've seen what you're up to and here's what we've concluded about you, Jesus. The same word, know, in verse 2, is translated see, like to see, in verse 3. Same word. It means to perceive, to understand, to get a handle of something. Like, really, you grasp it and understand. We know, he says, you're a teacher from God because only someone with God's help can do this cool stuff that you're doing, could do these signs that you're working out among us. But here, be careful, all Nicodemus is really saying 
And all that this group that he's speaking for is thinking is that God's helping Jesus do some of these cool things. That's what they can know. All right, God has to be helping out here. But Nicodemus, we're going to see, he really, he has no clue really what Jesus is up to. He doesn't really understand Jesus' identity. He comes to Jesus at night. We don't know 100% sure why. Maybe he's afraid of what other people would think about him. Later in John's gospel, it tells us that some of the Pharisees believed, but they were afraid to say that because of the fear of other Pharisees. So maybe he's afraid. There's a tradition, the Jews, they would get together, if they're going to chat about the Torah, the Old Testament, they do it at night. They hang out, and isn't that interesting? He comes to Jesus, the Word made flesh, to talk about. We don't know why, but here he comes at night. What we can be sure about is this. He is totally in the dark about Jesus' true identity and his mission. And look at what Jesus says, verse 3. Jesus answered him, I'm reading from the ESV, and it says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So notice here what Nicodemus has done. He has said, here's what we know. And Jesus says, truly, truly. Let me paraphrase what that means. Let me tell you what I know. And let me tell you with absolute authority. So Jesus here is speaking to Nicodemus. And what he does is kind of interesting. He doesn't directly address what Nicodemus says about signs and coming from God. Not at least right away. Eventually he'll get there. He immediately turns the conversation to the kingdom of God. These are, this is the only place here in John 3 that we read reread the phrase kingdom of God. John prefers life. That's how he talks about God's kingdom, life. And he turns to the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus is going to give Nicodemus some shock treatment. He's going to confuse him and turn him around and flip him upside down and then believe me, something like that. And so he's going to do it with the kingdom of God. Why? What is the kingdom of God? The short answer is that the kingdom of God is wherever God establishes his, his reign as king. It is where God's, God is sovereign over all of the world, all the cosmos at all times. But in particular, his reign, his, where he reigns as king and it falls on earth, it's where his peace comes, his ways, his wisdom, his justice, his mercy, his presence, his salvation kingdom of God. And Jews in the first century, like Nicodemus, they were looking for it. We know we can read extra biblical writing about what they were writing about, and it was the kingdom of God and what to look for. They were hoping that God's reign would burst forth on the earth, that he would vanquish all oppression and free the Jews. That's what they're hoping for. And Nicodemus, he knows what to look for. We know, as a Pharisee, he would be looking for a kingly figure like David, something like that, coming on the clouds of heaven to rescue God's people, to bring them peace, to liberate them. 
Furthermore, it was common in this rabbinic tradition to believe that all ethnic Jews, on account of their birthright, would have been granted entrance into God's kingdom. If you're Jewish and you haven't apostatized, you're in. That's the prevailing idea. And this would have been Nicodemus's greatest hope. What's your greatest hope? Nicodemus's would have been the kingdom of God coming. And so here Jesus says, you think you know about me? Let's talk about something you, you think you know about as well, the kingdom of God. Let's talk about that. This thing that you're looking for, he says, Jesus says, you cannot see. That's the same word, no. You, you don't even know what you're looking for. You don't really know what's going on here unless you're born again. The gospel reading, what version is that, Lance? Any idea? It got it right. The Greek is from above. Unless you're born from above. In John 3.31, this very same word is used. You can look in your Bible, John 3.31. In the ESV, it says, from above. So here, it's the same word, from above. Unless you are born from above, Nicodemus, you, you don't even understand the kingdom of God. He has no idea what, Nicodemus has no idea what Jesus is talking about. He's heard of the kingdom of God. He's hoping for the kingdom of God, like every Jew, but the prerequisite for seeing it, having to be born from above, apparently he's never heard of that. Look at his response in verse 4. He, he doesn't know. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus has said, you need this birth from above to see. But Nicodemus, he's thinking in earthly terms, fleshly terms. As a Jew born into the family of God, circumcised, committed to the rituals and the, the ceremonies and the temple and, and trying to live out the law the best he can, he's well-trained. Nicodemus has no category, at least here, for being born again, being born from above as necessary for the kingdom of God. He's thinking in purely fleshly terms. And so Jesus is gentle and kind. And so he gives Nicodemus some more. You don't know what I'm talking about. Let me explain it in terms you should know. That's what we look at next in verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So he's saying you need something spiritual to happen to you. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. That's the same word, born from above. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Again, Jesus begins, truly, truly. He is not speculating. He knows. The Jews who have, that Nicodemus is speaking for, they're, they're speculating. Jesus knows. 
And he says, listen, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want to see it and move toward it and be a part of it, then you need to be born from above. Don't marvel, Nicodemus. That means don't get stumped. Don't be confused about what I'm saying. What do I mean when I say born from above? Here's what I mean. Of water and the spirit. That's what we're talking about, Nicodemus. A birth of water and the spirit. One moment, a birth of water in the spirit. And I don't think Jesus is talking about the sacrament of baptism when he says of water. Because he expected Nicodemus to know what he was talking about. In verse 10, he says, you should know. And so whatever he's talking about when he says of water and the spirit, it's not new covenant sacramental, it's Old Testament. And so what are these Old Testament roots, this idea? Well, water in the Old Testament consistently signified purified. You're purified by God or things purified for God, made clean unrighteousness taken away. You think of the flood. That had some water, and it was to wash unrighteousness away. Think of like Numbers 19, things in the temple had to be washed with water to signify they were made clean so they could be used unto God. The spirit in the Old Testament is the generator, the giver, the maker, the remaker of life. You can think of Genesis 1. God gives life by the Spirit. Psalm 51, 9 to 10, David prays for a new heart by the Spirit. The Spirit would make him new. And these two ideas, purity and water, Spirit and new life, are combined in many Old Testament passages that are speaking of God's kingdom and what God is going to do in the age to come. We'll see water and spirit connected in many of those passages. You could look at Isaiah 32, where the spirit will be poured out like water. Or you could think of Isaiah 44, where God says that he will rush water upon his people who are sinful. It's like a desert being flooded with water, and then he will give his spirit to the offspring. But what Nicodemus really should have thought of is Ezekiel 36, which was read to us in the lessons. In Ezekiel 36, it's a promise to God's people who are in judgment, who are bearing judgment because of their sinfulness, because they have profaned the name of God. It's a promise to them in their sin that one day God will pour water on them and cleanse them of sin. That is, the penalty and the power of sin will be removed from them. And then in that same passage, you heard it, the Spirit will be given to bring new life, a new heart. That's in Ezekiel 36. And that is what will shape life in the kingdom. Not a law, not a system, not a burden. Clean hearts and the power of the Spirit of God. Men and women cleansed from sin, reoriented to live for the glory of God rather than to profane the name of God. I know we're doing a lot of work here this morning. You could take a breath. But then we're just going to keep going. 
So what is Jesus talking about when he says in verse 3 and verse 7, born from above, and when he says in verse 5, of water and the Spirit, he's talking about all the same thing. We call it conversion. Regeneration. That's a fancy term. Made new by the grace and the power of God. To the very core. That's what he's talking about. God must cleanse you, Nicodemus. He must remake you. It's not about ethnic belonging, law-keeping, or your credentials. If you want to see and enter the kingdom of God, God has to do something to you. You need a spiritual birth. You need to be made new. In the verse 7, it says you need to be made new. That's plural. That's like Jesus saying, hey, Nicodemus, and all the people you speak for, y'all need to be born again. And it's for all the readers of John's gospel. We all must be born from above. We must be cleansed of our sin. The penalty and the power of our sin must be cleaned away. And we must be given new hearts. And God will send his spirit down upon his people and it'll be like the wind. That is, can you control the wind? No, it will be uncoerced. You can't earn the attention. It is the gift of God, his will, his wind. The spirit will come upon whom God chooses. And as we think about this, we think about Ezekiel and the valley of dry bones and the rushing of the wind, bringing dead men to life. And according to this analogy, the wind, we might not see it, but we can see its effects, right? It blows the trees and the trees sway. And in the same way, when the Spirit comes upon God's people and he washes them and he gives them life, it will result in effects, transformed living. Hang on to that. We'll come back to it at the end. Nicodemus still doesn't get it. And if we didn't have the Spirit opening our eyes, we would not get it either. And so Jesus, he continues, and he says, listen, here's how you receive what I'm talking about. Picking up in verse 9. You'll see, Nick Nick doesn't understand. He said to him, how can these things be? What are you talking about? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, when we, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Nicodemus doesn't get it because in his mind, as in the mind of all of his contemporary Jewish community and leaders, he had met the requirements. He was Jewish. I'm in the kingdom of God. And on top of that, I'm a pro at keeping the law. And I know the word. Surely I'm in. In fact, there's a Jewish text that we have from around this time. It's called Mishnah Sanhedrin, and it taught the teaching of the Jews. And in the 10th chapter of that book, I'm going to quote it. It says, 
all of the Jewish people have a share in the world to come that is in the kingdom of God. This is what Nicodemus thought. And Jesus says, you need to be born from above. In fact, John 66, 63, there's not 66 chapters in John. In John 6, 63, Jesus comes against this thought even stronger when he says, you can't earn interest by any work of the flesh. Here in verse 10, he says, you're the teacher. The direct article, it's in the text, in the Greek. It's almost like Nicodemus is the teacher. And he still doesn't get it. So Jesus, he's going to unpack a little bit more, going to the Old Testament again. In verse 11, Jesus turns and he uses this word, we, we, we testify, we have seen, we know, you don't receive our testimony. Why the plural there, we, who's Jesus speaking for? Well, it could be his disciples who are bearing testimony about who Christ is. It could be the company of heaven that knows what Jesus is talking about. I think really this is just like a trick. How did Nicodemus begin? He came at night and he said what? What? We know. So Jesus says, okay, let me tell you what we know. We know. And so he says, you... Nicodemus thinks that God has just empowered Jesus to do some mighty signs. Jesus says, you don't quite get what's going on from heaven to earth. How does Jesus know about the reality of heavenly things? Why does he say he can speak about what, he's knows, what he knows from heaven? Because he has come from heaven. That's verse 13. It's not just that God has been favorable to an earthly man so he can do some miracles. It's that Jesus is the heaven-sent son of man. Son of man, this is a, term, a title that Jesus uses for himself. It's his favorite title for himself. It comes from Daniel 7. And in Daniel 7, God's people, again, are living under God's judgment. They're not home because of their sin and rebellion. And Daniel has this vision of someone like the Son of Man descending on the clouds from heaven, coming from heaven. And this Son of Man, Daniel 7 tells us, he has all the authority of God, all the power of God. And he's going to rescue God's people, the Son of Man. How is he going to do that? Daniel 7 says he's going to suffer. Then he's going to be exalted. Then he's going to be enthroned. Then he will be rescued. Jesus says. And the best way to understand what Jesus says here is that he claims as the son of man, the coming one on the clouds of heaven, that in his birth he has descended from the heavenlies and that one day he will return exalted to the heavenlies. He says several times in John's gospel, I came from the Father. If you ever have two hours and 15 minutes of spare time, just read through John's gospel. That's how long it takes. And you will see constantly Jesus says, I've come from the Father. Jesus is the heaven sent, incarnationally born of the Spirit, Son of Man. He has better credentials. 
He's not speculating about heavenly things. He's not guessing about how to enter into God's kingdom. He knows what the kingdom is all about. He's telling a man named Nicodemus, a man thinking about Jesus, trying to figure Jesus out. He says, Nicodemus, everything you've ever hoped for, it's found right here in me. If you want to see God's reign, Nick, you've got to expand what you think you know about Christ. Then Jesus, he sharpens it all by challenging Nicodemus with Numbers 21. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up in the, serp the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The reference to Numbers, it pulls together everything Jesus has been saying. Okay? In Numbers 21, God's people grumbled against God. They despised God's way. They became impatient with God's plan and God himself. And so they just complained. And God, because of their sin, sent fiery serpents among them. That sounds frightening. Here comes these fiery serpents, and they're biting everyone. And the poison from the bite is killing all, everyone that gets bitten. And, and they realize that they've sinned against God, and they come to Moses. You can read it for yourself, Numbers 21. Here's what they say. We have sinned against God. Please help Moses. Go to him and beg for deliverance. Tell him we're sorry. Moses goes. And God listened. He said, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who's bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So God provided a sign of his grace in this serpent on a pole. That whoever was dying, if they looked upon him, they would have life. Looked upon this serpent. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so Two will he be lifted up. And just as the serpent in Israel's history brought life to dying people, he says, so too by looking on me will those who are dying have life. Eternal life. It means life, really it means life in the age to come. Life forever with God. Life forever in the kingdom. Life forever in God's presence, under his rule, in his protection, for his glory, without sin. So here's what's transpired then. Nicodemus has come to Jesus with his expert opinion about Jesus' identity. Here's who we think you are. And Jesus has turned Nicodemus upside down. Jesus says, this is my own words, I'm going to paraphrase it all. Listen, Nick. If you want to enter into life with God, if you want the light of God's kingdom to fall on you, you need to check your credentials at the door. You need to give up trying to earn your place in God's family. Because what you really need is a radical, gracious, spirit-given life. You need to be totally remade from the very core why? Because you're just like the Israelites in Numbers 21. 
You're dying in sin. And the curse of the fall has poisoned your heart. And try as you may, you cannot earn your place in God's kingdom. So Jesus has taken a sledgehammer to Nicodemus' conception of what God is looking for. God is not looking for men and women who have the best credentials or who have their lives all together or who have the best law-keeping track record and saying, yeah, found you, you're in, you're in. From the very beginning, this is how we began Lent, if you were here on Ash Wednesday. God has been interested in the heart. And here Jesus, the teacher sent from heaven, tells Nicodemus, God is looking for people who are born from above, who have been washed by the waters of God's grace, who have been empowered by the Spirit. That's all that counts. And the same is true, this truth spoken to a self-righteous man, it's true for the worst, most unrighteous sinner. God isn't looking at your terrible past, the sin that has kept you in prison for so long, the nastiness that you try to keep hidden from others and saying, no, you don't belong. You're too far. All that matters, the only prerequisite is, have you been born from above? So let me ask you, Nick came at night to Jesus. How are you coming to Christ this Lenten season? Are you coming to him thinking, you know, I've got it pretty much all together. You should see how holy I've been lately. My family is in order. I'm not sure this sermon is for me. That could be the attitude of a self-righteous individual counting on his or her credentials. And Jesus is graciously bringing the sledgehammer down. Maybe you're coming from the opposite side. You're looking at your sin, your habitual struggle that plagues you, and you're thinking, I'm too far gone. I'm too broken. I'm too dirty to be clean. Surely the kingdom is for people not like me. God is also doing a work this morning in your heart. Listen, Jesus gives Nicodemus, the self-righteous man who can't earn his place because of his sinfulness, he's giving him an invitation. And he's giving you an invitation this morning too. An invitation to birth from above. Because you see, the Spirit comes on who he wills like the wind. But Jesus tells us, how do we know that the Spirit has worked in our lives? He tells us. He tells us, he says, Jesus says, Here's the cure to the poison of the fall in your life. Look up from yourself and see me lifted up. When is Jesus lifted up like a serpent on Moses' staff? It's when he's lifted up on a staff that has a crossbar and he's nailed to a cross by Roman soldiers and he sheds his perfect blood, his truly righteous life for our sin and our sin of self-righteousness. And we look on the Son of Man exalted on the cross and we believe in him in his sacrifice for our sins. Then you know you have been born from above and the Spirit has blown on you and given you life. That's when you know. You know, Nicodemus, you have a couple more minutes Nicodemus shows up two more times in John. 
John 7, he speaks up about Jesus again, and he seems a little skeptical. Still a little confused, afraid to say much. But then he shows up in John chapter 19. If you have a Bible, you could go there. He shows up in John 19. Just after, Jesus is still on the cross when he shows up. After the Son of Man had suffered for the sins of the world, what do we see? Joseph, this guy, he wants to care for Jesus' body and bury him. Before night falls, Nick has come in the day, or in the night now, it says, I'm in the wrong place. I'm in 18. Verse 39. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Why would John tell us about the weight? Because 70 pounds is what's required for the birth, the burial of a king. Nicodemus, he has come in the dark to Jesus to tell him what he knows according to his credentials. But after the crucifixion, after seeing Jesus lifted up on the cross, he comes humbly to serve the king of the kingdom of God. Lent reminds us all that our efforts cannot earn us a place in the kingdom. Lent reminds us that all of our sin, like the Israelites in Numbers 21, has brought the wrath and death, the wrath of God and death. Jesus reminds us here that he is the sign of God's salvation for those who cannot earn righteousness in their sinfulness. Jesus' cross tells us, you don't need to run. You don't need to hide. Your sin can be forgiven. So together we need to stop striving, start resting. Stop counting on our credentials and start trusting. Stop running in our sin and step closer to Christ in the kingdom of God. And here's the last thing I want to say. Remember, as the Spirit comes into our lives, it changes us. And you're invited into the kingdom of God, transformed by faith in Christ to live as a transformed person in the world. Life in a world filled with death. Light in a world filled with darkness. But what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? What are we, what are we to be about? Here's what I say. The life in the kingdom of God is not about what you're doing. It's not about what you're up to. It's not about your victories. Life in the kingdom of God is about what God is doing in you. Jesus says in John 6, a bunch of Pharisees come to him and they say, how do we know that we've been about God's work? And he says, John 6, this is the work of God, that you believe in me. I'm telling you, you want to live in the kingdom of God faithfully? Set your eyes on the risen Christ. Believe in him. And by the power of the Spirit, you will live now, in this life, and forever in God's kingdom. I want to pray for us.
And here's what I want to do. I want you to bow your heads. There are some in here who are struggling with self-righteousness in different ways. And maybe the Spirit has put his finger on it and you know. And there are some here who are just broken in sin and the Spirit, through this conversation with Nicodemus, has put his finger on it. And so I want to pray. If you feel like you're struggling with self-righteousness, just open your hands. It's a sign that you want to receive ministry from God. I'm going to pray for you. Father, for those of us here who are believing a lie, that life in the kingdom is about proving we belong or earning our keep, rather than the freedom and the light burden that is faith in Jesus. I pray that you would help us to rest. I pray that you would heal disordered thoughts and that you would guide us into the freedom that Jesus offers. And that we would know just by faith in Jesus, by believing in Jesus, by casting ourselves on Jesus, the Spirit will be faithful to work in our lives. Now, if you're struggling and broken in sin and you're feeling like you need to hide from Christ, I want to pray for you. You can open your hands. For those who couldn't possibly, they think they couldn't possibly belong to the kingdom because of their past or because of hidden struggles. Those who look at their unrighteousness and feel terribly ashamed. Lord Jesus, would you come right now and bring healing courage to step into the light, courage to come to the cross like Nicodemus did. Come to Jesus to feel the refreshing waters of forgiveness. Lord, would you do that?